0: now entering nerdist.com
1: last live writers panel of the year writer pals and it's in my hometown of boston massachusetts Uh, on november 14th i'll be talking with joe hill at brookline booksmith Uh, we rescheduled this from september i'm so excited to sit down with joe he's a great writer a great guy Uh, that should be a lot of fun and of course it benefits 826 boston So come on out to that. Find details at writerspanel.tumblr.com. Hi, everybody. We're about to get started, but first, guess what? 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 Today's sponsor is audible.com. You could have guessed that. They have more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Get a free audiobook of your choice at audiopodcast.com slash thrilling. Yeah. <laughs> it's the
0: Nerdist Writers Panel, and it's hosted by Ben Blacker, where he gets a bunch of writers and he asks them lots of questions. And it's starting now, so this will be the end of the theme.
1: By round of applause before we get started, and our time is so limited and we have so many panelists, but I'm gonna fuck around for a minute um, before we get started. By round of applause, how many of you are familiar with the Nerdist Writers Panel <laughs> podcast? Oh, that's great. Okay vaguely Um, okay so you know how it works we're going to bring up some professional television writers we're going to talk to them for a little bit I'm hoping to get questions from you guys as well we'll see what kind of time we run out of I did not know the stage was going to be so small so I booked 12 people (laughs) so we're going to do this in
0: shifts
1: (laughs) Um, and I think uh, Josh and Jeff if during the first shift you have something to say by all means run up (laughs) Um, my name is Ben Black. I'm a professional television writer. I can finally say that after 10 years in the business. Um, yeah. It felt, it felt very fake for a long time where I was writing for television um, but I was never in a room. And then this week I started in an actual comedy room, which is fucking horrible. No, I'm just kidding. It's the best. It is so great and I want to talk to some of these guys uh, about it, but uh, for now, please welcome, I'm going to have them introduce themselves when they come up uh, and let you know how you know them. So please welcome the first shift of <laughs> panelists for the Nerdist Writers panel. Come on up, guys. Wherever you like.
2: Just want to point out we're number one. Just- Absolutely. No com- competition back there, guys. Just
1: <laughs> uh, Marty.
2: <laughs> You're the opener. <laughs>
1: Uh, Please introduce yourself. Tell these folks why they may have seen your name on their televisions. And tell us what you're working on right now.
2: Um, uh, Marty Noxon uh, started on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. lo, those many years ago. Um, And done a lot of different things between. um, But in the last year, uh, uh, started a show called Girlfriend's Guide to Divorce on Bravo. And then um, with this lovely woman here, Sarah Gertrude Shapiro, we uh, co-created Unreal. So, um... So and that's coming back for a second season we're going to the room in uh, soon, soon. <laughs> like really soon yeah. we gotta figure out what we're gonna do huh? um, <laughs> do you guys want to figure it out here yeah we should talk <laughs> after um, but lots of other um, exciting things but that's 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 it in a nutshell okay mm-hmm.
3: sir. and that's that's me <laughs> <laughs> I am um, I'd this is so that um, I I wrote and directed a short film through the AFI directing workshop for women um, pitched it and sold it as a show and they brought Marty in which changed my whole life and now we're here <laughs>
1: Uh, and let me say, I've been telling these guys all week, I love Unreal so much. Are you guys watching this show? If you are not watching it, shut up and watch it.
0: So, right now, not, just leave and do that right now. It's not what you think it is.
1: Yeah, if you're streaming right now, turn this off.
0: <laughs>
1: watch Unreal. Um, it's not what you think it is. If you like uh, like Scandal or Empire, it's like those but for smart people. <laughs> Wow.
3: I think that That's
1: good yeah. some intended scandal Except without Empire. any of the
2: success or high ratings i mean we we, we have nice not. reviews, but we, yeah, nobody's it, watching, yeah. so Nobody we really watches, please watch I mean. on lifetime and it changed our lives yeah, yeah. yeah totally. all
4: right we we'll talk more about it in a minute, uh, but Roberto uh, my name is Roberto Benabib and uh, I was on uh Pretty cool show called Weeds for a long time on Showtime. And now uh, with my brother, Kim, uh, we created and run a show on HBO called The Brink with Jack Black and Tim Robbins. And uh, this lovely fellow. (laughs) My name is uh, Kim Benabib, and I co-created
5: The Brink with my brother. And before that, I was a novelist, a working writer in New York, and moved out here to uh, write uh, The Brink. And we are actually now working on season two.
1: That's great. Congratulations. Um, I want to talk to you guys. I should probably watch a clock. Um, <laughs> no offense. I'm yeah. enjoying this time we have together. He's yeah. already looking <laughs> at yeah. his watch. Yeah. I want to talk to you guys because both of you, uh, all of you are working on shows which rings comedy from places you wouldn't necessarily find comedy or think to find comedy. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, some of these dark places and uh, some of these unexpected Comedic place. So let's start with uh, the
4: Benabebes.
2: Um, As <laughs> a plural. You're Ben-Bean.
4: We sound like an old song and dance team. Uh, oh my God. Um, yeah, you know, uh, it just came out of the fact that um, we wanted to see a comedy that dealt with the world at large. That, that comedy had been in a great place for a long time, where it, in kind of a post Seinfeld world, where it just dealt with the minutiae of our lives. It got very micro and brilliant. Um, but we grew up in the 70s with films like um, Network and Catch-22 and MASH, and when comedy dealt with a much larger canvas. And we just thought, wow, that, that's not happening. We don't see that anywhere. And uh, I think it was J.D. Salinger who once said, uh, if you think of the book you most want to read and go write it, because nobody else is. Yeah. So that was kind of the, the impetus. For. Well,
5: and also just taking taking headlines and taking a geopolitical situation and, and Washington and and these characters and making it more than just workplace, you know, and making pulling back the way you film of the '70s did and get political in a in a way that was more than just relationships and workplace. Right. And
1: so. Yeah. I mean, I, I think oftentimes that that relationship or workplace comedy is. For so many, but like, it, it's for a bigger audience, right? Well, it's both. very relatable. You want both,
5: but you want to make sure that, you know, you're also looking at it from the perspective of what does this mean? Why? Mm-hmm. Like, why are we commenting on this? What What's going on that, that we should be paying attention to this?
1: Yeah. Well, it, was this a difficult sell for you guys, or how did the pitch come together on
4: this? It wasn't it's a, a pitch. A lot it was company. a spec script that okay. we wrote and got set up uh, surprisingly fast. Uh, I've been in this business a long time and maybe just worked up a lot of karma (laughs) from difficult situations because um, I spent it all on this one. Mm. Um, But it came together and, and our theory is that it came together because it just, there was not a lot of stuff out there like it. Mm -hmm. So actors like Jack Black and Tim Robbins immediately wanted to be in it, and producers like the late Jerry Weintraub Mm -hmm. immediately wanted to bring it to HBO, and people like Mike Lombardo immediately wanted to greenlight it. (laughs) Simply, you know, they didn't know if it was any good or not, they just knew it was different, and I think that
5: that's, that was our calling card. And the the script itself was, I mean, structurally, we were telling three different stories uh, across the globe, and it's got a big scale for a half hour. It just seemed very different from when they were looking at that pile of half hours and this one was,
1: This one is not like all the others.
5: It's and that much more us.
4: expensive.
1: <laughs> <laughs> is, is the fact that it isn't like other shows that, the, uh, that exist, is that why you decided to write it rather than try to... Well, we just missed idea. it.
4: We grew up with it. it it's, mm-hmm. it's like saying these are the books I read when I was growing up and I don't see anything like it at the mm-hmm. moment and I miss it. And, and and it informed me. It, it Those movies of the 70s were why we wanted to do this in the first place. And so there, it was in our blood to to kind of comment on, on this sort of political scale. Um, so it was just, you know, nostalgia. The, the other <laughs> thing was that uh, um,
5: TV had taken on a, a large scale in drama, in hour long. Now people were used to seeing these cable shows that were – or shows anywhere uh, – that were on a big scale, and then in half hour was still small. and some mm-hmm. half hour was still kind of boxed in by a certain sense of what it needed to be, and so it was like, "Well, let's let's take some of this cinematic scale and try it in half hour." Yeah, so. great.
1: I want to pick up there when we come back to you, but let's let's talk about Unreal for a minute. Uh, tonally, it's such an unusual show, and that has to be the hardest part of trying to get it across to other people.
2: Yeah, I mean, um, the the thing that happened. At the very beginning was um Nina Lederman had me come into Lifetime and honestly I was like I'm not really a lifetime writer. I've been in here a couple times to talk to you guys, you're all really nice, but I'm just like telling you, I don't think, you know, and she's just kept saying, You gotta come see this short. And um I saw Sarah's short, which is called Sequin Rays. I may have set that up a day, but um, you should watch it if um because it's really amazing. And um I watched it and the first thing I think I said was, are you going to do that? Because the tone was so... Walked that line so beautifully of almost like um, documentary style, really dark, but also felt like the humor came from... Um, knowing in your gut that that's true, Um, and, and just, you know, kind of being able to, to laugh with a character who clearly identified as a feminist, and, and works in a job where you ritually recreate a fantasy that is bad for all people, (laughs) you know, Um, so when I saw that, and the tone that, that Sarah had captured, I asked her, are we doing that, or, and I said, are we doing the lifetime version, and she goes, we want to do that, and um, it took two years <laughs> to get to that. Well, how um, did it
1: take two years? I didn't realize that the gap was so long.
3: It a little blip. Yeah, I, I <laughs> mean, you know, for me, like, so the the short had gotten into South by. I was two weeks away from going to South by, and somebody that I worked with in Portland, where I was living, was like, "Hey, you want to go to L.A. and we'll pitch a TV show?" And I was like, "Okay." So um, she's <laughs> That's like, "That's always you know, how it happens." I know. So like, everyone wants to murder me when I tell this story, but it's, but it's, um, but, you know, she's like, "Pay for your own plane ticket." I was like, "Okay." So we went, and she introduced me to Nina, and. Um, Um, and Nina didn't, she didn't quite buy another room. She waited until I landed back in Portland and then I got a (laughs) phone call because I think she called Nancy Dubuque or something. But, um, it was, you know, hundred percent lifetime was not where I thought I was going to sell my show. I was really confused by by the offer, like (laughs) flabbergasted, honestly. Um, I hardly knew anybody in the business because I had just done the AFI program and I was living in Portland. And so I had like, a cousin who was a screenwriter in the 80s,
2: and <laughs> <laughs>
3: I knew somebody who worked in Short a room. circuit
2: three. Yeah, no, like, I'm not, not really. No, she's <laughs> not.
3: Yeah. But, um, and, you know, like, That's I knew some... Applaud. Yeah. <laughs> 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 somebody who was in a room, and I um, just called them, and I said, I have this, like, really impassioned, crazy offer, and both, you know, both people unanimously, the whole two people that I talked to, <laughs> kind of said, like, well, how do you feel about the exec that you pitched to? And the truth was that, you know, I'd had a lot of experience on set and in the industry in ways and one thing that I had had come to learn was that it's so easy for people to feel as if they are agreeing when you're in the room and speaking to each other because everybody wants to get along but when you're actually looking at something and you're agreeing on what that is you have a pretty good it's a pretty good chance that you actually have the same thing in your mind and the fact that we had sat there and watched the short and I had actually asked her, I said, no, I'm talking about, like, no makeups not coming down her mouth. Like, <laughs> she wants to die. Like, everybody wants to die. Nothing turns out well. Everything is fucked. Everything is horrible. I want to die. She was like, yes, 100%, all of it. And so they said, "If you, and Nina's the kind of person, she's a real, like, look you in the eye kind of person, and... I, they just kind of were really like, go for it. You know, she has like, a very firm handshake. She's a very firm very, very, She was very, she was very, very commanding. She's a very commanding, commanding handshake. She wears incredible suits. She also, yeah. Diana Nyad, she used to be in a relationship with Diana Nyad, who, you know. Yeah, was, so clearly she yeah. was trustworthy. That's what I <laughs>
2: felt.
3: So I made a great decision for but, myself. <laughs> but,
2: but I think, yeah. you know, to that question yeah. of tone, I think that, yeah. that that was, for both of us, the very first meeting that Sarah and I had, because, yeah. you know, this was sort of an arranged marriage. Mm-hmm. Like, is it going to we sat down to decide, you know, eyeball each other and decided, you know, can we do this? And, um, you know, almost immediately we were were talking about this same thing, which was um, parody and satire in this world has already been done. yeah, um, And it's too easy. And the thing that I respond to, and I think, you know, we share this in common, that I miss, like, Nashville and Mm -hmm. these bigger scope network and um, this this was about something to me that was much larger than the thing itself. And we also saw the opportunity yeah. to do a big juicy soap, you know, that had, a, as you said, like, I don't watch a lot of other TV because I don't have time, but I saw the opportunity to do both, like give yep. people exactly like that mm-hmm. stuff that you can't get enough of, you know, like we could mm-hmm. really amp up the the melodrama yeah. and the juice, but at the same time, it's a commentary on how awful a lot of reality TV has become and how we're kind of creating a culture of bullies mm-hmm. and how that circles back on on all of us and then we bully ourselves. Yeah. So we had, you know, we had sort of instant agreement that we wanted to take it seriously and then find the comedy from that. Yeah,
3: and Marty and I our sensibilities are just ridiculously aligned in terms of like feeling like parody is too cheap and easy and cynicism is lazy like we're you know we're sort of like like sadness porn like who gives a shit like i don't want to watch you know what i mean it's like it's like you know there's plenty of like dogma movies if you want to go die or whatever but it's like we're you know we're not trying to make and that's the, that was the interesting thing about pitching it, too, is it's, like, dark and indie. It was almost kind of the wrong words because those get mixed up with, like, depressing, and there's actually a lot of hope in the show. But so, yeah, so I think that that lined up really well. But what took two years was that we actually... Um, we ended up uh, shooting a pilot that we that we walked away from, and they picked up the show anyways. And so that was... Kind of an insane and incredible opportunity. We got a total do over. (laughs) But also just to see it go wrong. You know what I mean? So there was a thing where there was a thing where there was really a miscommunication with sort of the the director that we had about he just didn't believe that Lifetime actually wanted to change and he wasn't going to listen to me about it. And so. And I was like, and he, and I was like, no, I swear to God, I was like, you don't even know the meetings we've had. Like, it is so specific. We've gotten down to contrast ratio. We're like watching Friday Night Lights. They really
2: <laughs> want to do this, you know. And then he'd just, you'd walk into the set and it'd be like, bleed, <sighs> you know. It would look like a sitcom set, yeah. and um, he just directed totally a different show. And yeah. he
1: directed a lifetime. show. But it was what actually he was hired to do, but, but I, didn't understand.
2: One of our yeah, one of our non-writing EP
3: has said if he ever teaches a, uh, like another film school class, he just wants to show those two pilots because it's the same script. Yeah. Directed differently. And it was the kind of thing where, you know, Ooh, not exactly really the same. No. Not ex- no, but you know, not that exactly was a little the different. same scripts. Nina, Nina did say,
2: because yeah. there was a development, um, not Nina, yeah. um, Nancy Dubuque did yeah. say after they picked the show up, she said, I want you guys to go back to the script I read and I actually want you to make it darker. That's right. And so there's stuff it, yeah. in the in the second oh, version that is actually gnarlier yeah. than in the first one. But the first one was definitely proof of concept. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I know they tested it and people were like, oh yeah, we'd watch this, but we all knew it could be better. We
3: also killed ourselves. So was... We also killed ourselves in the edit bay we, we <laughs> slept there through Christmas. There was like,
2: I don't know what that bar was down the street. I bought a I puppy, w- you know, just to feel life. I would hold, I would, <laughs> God. Swear to God, I would like, I would like hold the pug puppy and just both like. like just rock, Ugh.
3: and our editor was on a, a meat-only diet. mean, none of us ever went. Chicken, Home. Chicken, chicken only. Anyway, we should, we should let other people talk because.
1: know <laughs> oh, we can get into what the editor was eating. I think that's
3: always <laughs> always it's, instructive. It's, it's, I think it's just to say that it's like surreal the whole be, thing was being surreal. in a network being in a network that was really interested in changing but hadn't changed. Yeah. Because it was, it also affected every collaborator we brought on board. Nobody wanted to work on a Lifetime show. It was like, you know what I mean? It was like, we're like, no, we swear to God, it's going to be awesome, and they're like, who are you? Like, you <laughs> well, know? and the
1: fact that they committed yeah. to a second season shows yeah. Yeah. that they are committed to changing, very. maybe not the model, but at least they're behind no, they're the very, show. they're very,
3: they're very, very behind the show. And that's and that was actually the advice that I got when I sold it. They said, like, you could be one of forty five things someplace else or one of three at Lifetime, and and I have to say that's that's turned out to be a great. Well, and
1: that's kind of what I want to pick up with all of you guys. Um, You know, you're you're making shows that are about something, and that seems like that's increasingly rare, at least in popular television, in network television. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know what experiences you guys have had in network television, but (laughs) and this is a big question: Can we make TV that's about something? Is cable going to you know follow network as well and try to be this populist medium?
4: I mean, I don't know. I, uh, Marty started in broadcast. I started in broadcast. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it, it's there are only so many people you can bring into a tent. It's like, I don't agree with everyone. I don't like the same things everyone else likes. I don't find the same jokes funny as everyone else. and And I feel like everyone is like that. It's not me. And so anything that 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 just brings aims to bring everyone into the tent is by nature probably a little watered down unless it catches lightning and unless it's buffy
2: right, or right. ally
4: mcbeal or something mm-hmm. that just how did that happen and i, I oh would argue that, like
2: i think empire is about something i think that the fact that it's speaking so much to um you know a kind of uh, it's a voice that hasn't been heard in that way and even to portray a gay but you know um black character in that r&b world like you know i I thought about frank ocean and what a big deal that was Mm -hmm. and i do feel like part of the reason people are flocking to that is like finally people are talking to to us you know um and speaking to things that we love and it's musical and it's got you know i I think that show has a lot of you know I, i it has a lot of Awesome cookie weirdness, but at the same time, I, I do think it's sort of groundbreaking, and that 's part of the reason why you know it 's turned into kind of the mega the latest i mean it's not there's so few and far between now um, i I sort of backed out of network purposefully because I started to feel like i didn't like the writer I was becoming what um, does that mean i I felt like I was getting really facile at being clever but not honest.
4: And you anticipate notes, and in order to save yourself some time and <laughs> just grief, save you, yourself you, start just you start to just—you start doing
2: defensive it. writing, like just yeah. if you'll leave me alone, I'll write anything you say, you know. Like, and I, and I know this is
4: <laughs> never going to pass muster. <laughs> right. So rather than have you tell me to change it, I'm just not going to do it in the first place. Mm.
2: Yeah. It, yeah, and I just—I sort—I sort of, sort of just looked at stuff on the page and thought, like, people don't talk like that, you know. And, and it was—it wasn't particularly the show or anything, it was just, I didn't start, I mean, I got so lucky that Buffy was such an authentic, even though we had our own, like, you know, speak, and, but the way we broke those stories was so character-based, and it was so much from experience and, and feeling, and then to be in a world where you were just sort of like, what if nuns get syphilis? You know, I was just like, I don't, I don't care. You know, I really don't care. So I, I kind of backed out, and then, you know, I haven't done it since. Yeah,
4: no, I think the, the more you, you, you narrow cast, the more you say, here's a wonderful show, and, you know, two-thirds of this audience is going to really dig it and love it, and, and, and a third is going to say, you know, it's not my cup of tea. That's great. That's awesome. If you can do that, boy, the, then, then I'm interested it feels like Weeds must have been a big turning yeah. point for you. I mean, that was one of the first shows to
1: kind of walk that line. I mean,
4: yeah, no, definitely. And, 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 and to a certain extent, anyone if, who watches The Brink, the, the, the seeds of The Brink tonally are in Weeds. And it is that absolute melding of, of comedy and drama where you don't back off from either of them. Mm-hmm you're not afraid that if you get too funny you're not going to be able to get serious enough and if you get too serious you're not going to be able to mm. be funny enough it's just it's it's a it's a fearlessness of just saying we're going to have uh, the most violent scene in the world that's drop dead serious and next to you know Justin Kirk and Kevin Neal and talking up and
0: <laughs> uh, you
4: know so so and and i think that that's something genji kohan who created weeds was always uh, a proponent of and and allowed us to indulge it to the point where when The Brink came, even if audiences weren't quite ready for the tonal shifts in The Brink, we were, because (laughs) we had been doing it for eight years. And so we were very, as you guys must have been, regardless of whether everyone else was catching on immediately or not, you were dead certain you were right that that was the tone that this That's material true. needed. Mm-hmm. And at that point, all you can do is hope that slowly people catch on.
2: I'll say that I ran into an executive that we dealt with a lot over the last two years, and he was at a Emmy thing last night and a little bit in his cups, and he said, this is Marty, we have a really complicated relationship. <laughs> because it's true, like, we were very, very clear, very clear um, and, um, and I think that sometimes it was just really scary because, you know... Um, same same thing. We, we were not afraid to, like, really go to the brinks of, you know, the edges of dark, dark drama and then, you know, have uh, two characters sitting there watching it like it's a stage play I remember, and congratulating themselves, I you remember, know. I, remember, I, I can't remember the exact number of times we got you
3: pulled to Sensory City to have a meeting about tone.
2: Well, have a meeting about likability. Oh, yeah.
3: Yeah, and it was just sort of like... I mean, again, I mean, the great, incredible thing is that, like, we have just always been, I mean, locks up. I mean, we just know exactly what we're doing, like you're saying. And so, I mean, you know, I I don't know how many times we said it, but we just sort of... kept saying like we got it. Like yep, as as yep. you'll remember, it worked really well in this one instance and it's gonna be the same sort of thing. And we're in an absurd world. Like everybody is there's ponies and sequins and like pumpkin <laughs> carriages. So right. we can afford literally. Yeah, we yeah. can afford for someone to be suicidal. It's gonna be fine. <laughs>
4: you know, it's interesting the B side of that yeah. is you feel like because you're so certain of your tone, you feel like Donald Rumsfeld, we're gonna be her- heralded as conquering heroes when we go into Iraq. And then wait the ratings were what <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, huh and you realize it's going to take people a little yeah. while to kind of understand yeah. what the tone is mm-hmm. and to say yeah that i get it now but I get it. it's such
2: a different i mean just speaking to the larger world of television right now I, you know both girlfriends and um and unreal girlfriends i think is darker than people know it is um it goes to it goes there in a way too but um uh but definitely tonally more you know it's it's more romantic comedy but in the land where you know people actually have real emotions and get mad at each other and stuff um but uh i don't think either of those shows could have gotten on the air 5 years ago and i don't think they would have stayed on the air yeah. um and there's this new thing where people realize people are still watching the first season of unreal and people are still watching the first season of girlfriends guide and they can't even figure out how to
3: Keep Not count, <laughs> yeah.
2: you know. I mean, it's so confusing, <laughs> but the but you can te- mm-hmm. tell from when you know people start to talk and. There's a momentum building, but again, it's this narrow. They're they're trying to capture a very specific audience, and if you can do that, you can stay on the air long enough. Sometimes yeah. Yeah. it's just so different from network, where sometimes you came out, you know, five episodes and you're canceled. Yeah,
3: you know, it's, we had such an interesting mandate too, which is, you know, they're like, so we'd like to bring a straight male audience to Lifetime. We're
0: like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> we're
3: like, so we are like, so there's gonna be a pinking on everything, right? And they're like, mm-hmm. we're like, okay. So, I mean, I think it's, you know, I think there's a lot of talk about sort of like post network, post, you know, all of that sort of like everything is brandless. But the truth is that I think, like with Girlfriends and I think with Unreal, we are on brands that have platforms and identities. And it's a really interesting space to sort of, have that tone and then have people see what network it's on and then experience the show and then sort of still just sort of adjust to it. Mm -hmm. But I think that's been a fascinating process too just to sort of watch as people understand what the show is and, and get okay with being there to watch it and... You know,
5: I think the audiences are actually ahead of the media yeah. and executives. I think audiences are seeing yeah. these tonal shifts and saying, "Great, okay. I'm on board." You yeah, know? it's not even hard and, for them. And it's it's yeah. the media and people and 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 network executives saying, "Well, we can't do that. That's breaking the rules." And mm-hmm. why are You're you? You're still getting
2: that? the same. We're still. I'm still getting the same notes about just like we need to be in the character's head at every moment. And I'm like, that's exactly wrong for me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> because I think there should be some mystery. But I think because I agree with you, I think. Um, Viewers have become so sophisticated. There's so many things that we That's, used to do. We mm-hmm. you know when I started, kinds of writing that you used to do to sort of be like, here we are, here's what everybody's talking about, here here's the, what we're gonna do, we Watch do. us do, it, and then we'll tell you yeah. what we did. And then, the, yeah, exactly. And now there's just so you just dispense with that. People want to be, um, I think, regarded as smart and par- participating in the process. Not they just, are smart.
4: They're yeah, you know smart. audiences yeah. are so sophisticated. You look at shows like Breaking Bad. The storytelling in that is will blow your mind, yeah. and 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 it's eight steps ahead of you, and it's unapologetic about being eight steps ahead of you, and you love that it's eight steps ahead of you. It just yeah. Yeah.
3: I had I had an experience like in terms of sort of premium cable and the evolution of that, you know, because I definitely am of the sort of group of people or a generation that has never had a TV with a cable in it and only watches stuff on laptops and whatever, but. Um, I was in a Best Buy in, like, Arkansas. I was on the road for something and ended up talking to a teenager, 19-year-old guy who was working there selling me something. And we started talking about Breaking Bad, and then Skylar came up, and he was like, yeah, I don't understand why people hate her so much. I mean, like, wouldn't you be pissed if your fucking husband became a drug kingpin? (laughs) And there was something about that moment of, like, that kid who has nothing in common with a middle-aged woman having so much compassion for her. And it was, like, this clarifying moment for me of understanding that audience, audiences really have gotten to the point where they can, they, not only like can they handle, they expect Absolutely. a ton of subtext, a ton of, a ton of complexity, and they expect anti-heroes. Yeah. And they're actually really offended by the And so I think that was for us a little bit just saying, sort of like, trust your audience, they're going to understand this. And they totally have. So yeah. I Absolutely.
0: You know.
1: I want to get a little uh, into the nuts and bolts of, of these shows before we uh, turn it
4: over for questions. Um, how's your room run how's the show written on uh, on the brink uh, well first of all we have the luxury of just having an enormous amount of time to do 10 half hour episodes do you how much lead time do you have uh, before you know, we months, months really yes and great. so we just we throw out ideas it's not a very big staff it's probably a staff closer to what you'd find on an, uh, on a drama mm-hmm. it's it's usually around six to eight people Um And we just throw out ideas and then start zeroing in and go around. And this is episode one. And then through ten, wait. And then you go back to one and go, what were we thinking? This makes no sense at all. And you go around again and you go, what were we thinking? This still makes no sense. And then at some point you have to shoot it. So you (laughs) believe that it makes sense. Um, But it's a slow, very methodical. And someone was asking me the other day, Uh, we were talking about what what children need from school and what you retain. And I realized that I belittled my math education in grade school, and yet I believe it is that education that allows me to break a story Mm -hmm. in a totally mathematical way where you understand that this is how it starts and you we reverse engineer, and then you need this. And it's almost like a computer flow chart. And and, and I was thinking, God, I'm so glad. That That's so thing, took- because
2: it's the total opposite for me. I failed. <laughs> I mean, math goes in one ear and out the other. And if you know, I would memorize the answers. And at one point in college, I, you know, I got good grades because I'd memorize the answers. And my teacher called me down. He said, have you ever thought about being a math major? And I said, ask me any one of the questions on that test. <laughs> I don't know the answer. <laughs> so for me, it's the opposite. It kind of like, sat in after years of doing it, and it's intuitive. I mean, I don't know how it works. Mm-hmm. I just know when it's wrong. Yeah.
4: <laughs> no, for me, it's being an audience member and saying, where does the eye want to go next? Right. What do I want to know next? What is the question I have if I'm watching this? And it's like, and that's not it, because I've, I'm, I've, I've predicted that already. So how can you go another right. way? But I'm not talking about college math. I'm talking about great school math. Oh. <laughs> I'm talking about one and one. Still don't. Still,
2: no. <laughs> I mean, maybe add and subtract. But I, I wanted to
1: ask, uh, Kim, a similar question coming from prose, where you know it's sort of a different animal. TV has a lot more strictures, and structure is much more important. And you're working in a room with nine other people. No, it's a completely different animal.
5: And uh, the thing about The Brink is that it's, it's highly serialized. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost, we were saying this the other day, it's basically uh, the first season is a movie you know, broken up into 10 episodes or played out over 10 episodes. And so what you learn from the first couple of episodes is only really hinting at where this thing is going to go by, by episode 10. And I think that, that makes it more like uh, writing a feature or or, or working on a, on, a, on a thriller, you know, or novel or something. It's just in terms of the building blocks of of, of where the story is going to go. And so we do we do go through that boarding process of just starting in one place, seeing where it goes, And saying, okay, now we got to go back and retrofit, you know, all of this stuff, and so it's. But there
4: were issues there too, because it is a movie. In other words, what what is outlined in the pilot is completely resolved in the tenth episode, and what we realized was that serially on television every week, oh wait a second, this is showing someone an episode or two is like showing them a feature film. After twenty minutes, <laughs> the lights go up and say, Go home and write your reviews. You know, it's like, wait a second, I don't like this character. That's because he's going on a journey and eventually he will change. And so it, it became problematic. And what you realize is we were writing a show to be binged. We were writing a show to be watched one after the other after the other. And not to be doled out once a week, uh the way traditional television has been doled out. And 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 that that was a learning experience. Yeah,
5: someone said to me, "Well, what's the, of your first season? What's the typical episode?" You know, I said, "Well, there is no typical episode." You know, I, they wanted me to point one out for them mm-hmm. to watch, and I was like, you, you, "There just isn't one." And it's, it's, it's maybe by accident, but that's the way the way it's it like saying, out.
4: "What's the typical fifteen minutes in uh, a two-hour <laughs> movie?"
1: <laughs> but but this know. raises sort of an inter- interesting question because we're still we're not talking about movies; we're
4: talking about television, which is.
1: A serialized medium.
4: We're talking about television, which is in the process of changing. Yeah. Um, that, you know, everyone gave a lot of attention to John Landgraf saying there's too much uh-huh. television. As the head of a linear <laughs> broadcasting unit, yeah, maybe he's right. But if you talk to non-linear, the future, if you talk about Amazon or, or HBO Now or Netflix, he's dead wrong. The, the truth is that people binge now they sit there they watch 3 or 4 episodes in a row and so how how you and people your age are going to Consume it is
3: completely you young, different young, 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 guys, than, guys, uh-huh. than,
4: than, than the dinosaur. T- I was
3: telling somebody the other day that I feel like binging is kind of like sucking on a teat, like it's
2: just like escaping, <laughs> escaping completely. It's right. sort of like right. <laughs> no,
3: I like Netflix teat. Like.
2: I wish <laughs> I remembered that, but it's a good analogy. Totally, but because <laughs> <I totally, laughs>
3: re- you're so young,
2: I was gonna say though, you know, because someone asked me about the graph, you know, asked me to comment in the press. And I was like, well, that's really like you said, you know, as a network executive on a linear, you know. Um, but I, as a person who, um, you know, there's been a lot of talk about the lack of women and minorities in, in you know, in television rooms, especially directors, but showrun. You know, there's more female showrunners, but the number of female writers hasn't gone up. You know, it's still about eighteen mm-hmm. percent, um, and you know, and people of color. I mean, it's dismal. Um, and for me, I was like, well. I'm glad that you feel that way. I've pitched you how many shows and never been able to get one on the air. Now I have two and a half shows, and um, they're all about um, marginalized women um, who are antiheroes. They're all about fucked up women. Mm-hmm. So I am so grateful for um, being, there being too much television because now finally I'm, I'm asked to deliver a story that I was not allowed to tell yeah. four or five yeah. years ago. I mean, yeah. we could not have done this. No.
1: It may be harder to get attention, but it's, yeah. it, there are at least more outlets for uh, You know, as long voices. as you
4: get to shoot it, okay. I, who cares? <laughs> I mean, you know, it's just like someone is giving you money to go make it. That's a victory.
5: Yeah. And way. also, you know, movie studios are getting out of the business of telling certain kinds of stories. And so the, people are yeah, craving those out. on television. People are looking for those stories to be told still. And the outlet is all of this TV that we've got. So I, I
2: yeah, Yeah, I was just I'm pursuing a a project right now, a book, and um, the other thing that will be coming out in 2016 is Sharp Objects, based on Gillian Flynn's novel. And um, you know they were going to try to make that into a movie, and I pursued them for a couple years saying. It's going to work on TV. As a movie, it's going to be a little movie that you know gets reviewed and then probably disappears. Mm-hmm. Same thing with this project I'm pursuing now, where you know she got offers for this book to be turned into a movie, but it's about a, a terrorist cell of women in America killing, um, you know, sex sexual criminals, you know, among other things. I mean, it's really, and I'm like, you know, how many men, uh, exec- male executives, are going to give you a lot of money to make a big Hollywood movie of that? None. But we can tell that story on and TV even now. Even if they
5: do give them a lot of money, we were saying the other day that a movie gets a weekend. You get yeah, a weekend yeah, to be out okay. there. A TV show gets a whole run to be talked about, to mm-hmm. sort of get into the fabric and do different things. It's just
3: I, I was going to say, I think that's the thing for me too. Also, like coming up in the age of uh, like the golden age of television, it's just like why would you bother creating characters that you're only going to have for two hours? Like it's so hard for me to think of the stories that are appropriate for two hours now. And I think that, you know, and definitely coming out of indie film, like, that is, I think, where, you know, 10 years ago or something, if, I, if it had been then, I would have obviously wanted to be an indie film. And now television is the only place that I want to it's be. It's almost
4: like two yeah. hours is yeah. too long yet too short. It's like, yeah. it, it's too long in the sense that if I'm binging, I'm not going to be able to cut out after an hour. No. Um, if I want to, I have to do the two hours. Yeah. But if I'm still going and I'm binging and it's an hour or half hour formats, I may sit there for six hours sucking on that tit, <laughs> you know, yeah. just because it's so know. much. I like fun. that you went right to tit.
2: Yeah. <laughs> just sucking on the Why tit. Why not?
3: <laughs> I was,
4: an analogy works.
3: Yeah. <laughs> you
2: gotta yeah. go. With it. No it change though. Change.
1: All right, we we have time for one quick question. Uh, <laughs> does anyone have a quick question?
4: Everyone says TV is different and a lot of people like to watch old, the old TV shows from around 40, 50 years. And why doesn't the, the people go back to that kind of formula? You know, the clean comedy and that kind of thing. And just, it's just so much different than it was, you know, 30, 40 years ago. And I was wondering, why is not like that? Or is it going to get like that? Or what do the TV executives say? I think there's something for everybody out there. You know, I think uh, there are really... Chuck Laurie lives. Chuck Laurie lives. I mean, there's an <laughs> incredibly talented writer who's creating material like that right now that, that is genuinely funny and engaging and not necessarily edgy in the way that some shows feel they have to be edgy. So I just think it's a, there's, a, there's a wide menu out there um, and, and you can find almost anything you're looking for.
1: Also, you look at the shows that the networks are picking up this season, and they are a strange mix of these sort of safe shows, plus shows that are trying to emulate what cable and Netflix are doing. Uh, It's strange to see that, you know, network is still figuring itself out. It's feeling very
2: schizophrenic, I think. And it's, you know, they're, 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 I think, again, you know, they... The tried and true sometimes works. You know, there's Chicago there's so many shows about Chicago now. You know, I mean we always joke it's gonna be like Chicago sanitation department. <laughs>
1: Chicago uh, and Brooklyn basically.
5: Right. <laughs>
2: yeah. There are no other places yeah. in the no world. Other places.
1: Um, let's wrap up by asking what you guys are watching on television. Kim, let's start here with you. Is there anything you're getting excited or inspired about? Anything your room is talking about? You and your family are talking about? Talking I'm to your microphone. I'm just a pack? huge, huge documentary fan. So
5: I mean, basically, what I, I binge documentaries. I mean, have you watched anything good? I just watched actually this Rumsfeld documentary. Just got to it. It was a long, you know, it's a long time ago. It's it's, it's not it's old news. Yeah, but I mean, right. that's the thing about about documentaries. And then you know, anything that's done by PBS Frontline, I think, is amazing. Yeah. And I think almost all of those front lines could be optioned for, okay. for film, versions of them. And sometimes I almost like, like those versions better. Every writer
2: runs to front line. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, so, um,
5: that's my thing, is, is, is documentaries. Robert?
2: Yeah, um, uh, I grew
4: up on television, weaned myself on television, and now I have a, a young five-year-old daughter, So I don't watch anything. I just stare at her. What does she watch day long? She likes George. She likes Angelina Ballerina. So I guess these are my choices now. (laughs) Uh, And and I just stare at her. And 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 so uh, you know, I'm I'm not the person to ask that question.
3: Um, I think uh, you know, Transparent for me was sort of the most amazing thing in the last year. I guess I don't even know if it was within the year. Um, And I thought that was a great example of kind of a four-hour movie because it was—I think it was eight like twenty-three-minute episodes—and Bloodline blew my mind completely. Like I thought Bloodline was incredible. I think
2: Narcos is really good. So it's like all Netflix, Amazon. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a huge um, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt fan. just <laughs> i love that show so much um and we re we, you know we rewatch episodes just cuz um you know the mole women uh, it's just so so important that show but it actually is again about something yeah. and um and some of the lines are so um like when one of them he asked you know as a mole woman she said we don't really like being called you know and he still calls them all women. and then he says why did you follow Reverend John Gary and you know why'd you do that and he goes well she asked he told me he had rabbits in the back of his car and I didn't want to be rude and Matt Lauer goes sometimes it amazes me what women will do not to be rude yeah, that's and I was line. like that's an incredible you know so yeah. that's been big um Mr. Robot um I just started watching but I suggest that everybody I mean you know Really, 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 radically different for USA. Um, And again, as you're just seeing these, you know, big swings. Um, And I also I found bloodline transfixing.
3: It's incredible.
2: Yeah, yeah. I don't know why. What? Tell me (laughs) on (laughs) it. Sam Sam Shepard. Sam Shepard kayaks. (laughs) <laughs>
3: Does that work?
1: Remember how your show was courting straight Florida? males?
3: <laughs> like Florida? I don't know. It, was, it just has a it has a really epic sense of place. It's,
4: Those guys did Damages, yeah. which yeah. I think the first season right. of Damages was amazing yeah. Yeah. Thank you. storytelling, Thank you. like brilliant storytelling, yeah. right up there with Breaking Bad and the way it all came and together. And the pieces
2: of this—it's slow. Yeah. There are moments where you really feel like again sense of place. And, and what I like about That's it is fair. there's yeah. so much up uh, paste stuff, and when we worked on Mad Men, you know, to write a five-page scene. Mm-hmm. So this has, you know, and, and the Ben Mendelsohn was a revelation for me. Know. I started watching for Carl Chandler, and then I was like, oh. <laughs> anyway.
1: because All right, fine, I'll watch. Uh, please give a <laughs> round of applause to all of our <laughs> Phase 1 panelists. <laughs> please check out their programs. Thank you guys so much. Boy, things are really heating up in this story. <laughs> If you like things heating up in stories or just stories, then maybe you like some stories from a sponsor we have. Which sponsor? Good question. Kind of. Good answer, totally, is audible.com. Do you like books but hate holding books? Maybe give audible.com a chance and listen to a book or whatever. What books, you ask? What's up with you in questions, I say. <laughs> A lot of books, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, for example, or The Girl Who Played with Fire, for example, or The Girl Who Kicked the Hornet's Nest, for example, or books, or like one about a boy, like about a boy.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's really good. Our curtain wrote that joke. <laughs> Get a free audiobook in a 30-day trial today by signing up at audiblepodcast.com/slash thrilling. Audiobooks are like adaptation television adaptations of books without seeing. So it's like a TV tie-in. You'll help us out by helping yourself out if you go to audiblepodcast.com slash thrilling. Hey, clap for these guys. Please, starting here with Josh, let's go through and introduce yourselves. Tell us why we might know you and what you are working on these
6: days. Uh, My name is Josh Friedman. Um, I was a feature writer and a TV writer, and I wrote uh, War of the Worlds many moons ago. I wrote uh, Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles. I created that. Thank you. You guy. That guy. Um, Thank you back there, bright light. Um, don't don't go don't go oh don't what uh, and I'm uh, I've been writing I've been writing one of the Avatar sequels for Jim Cameron for a while and um, doing some TV development that's top secret.
1: We'll see how top secret it winds up yeah. being.
6: Welcome to the diversity panel. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we'll we'll bring Marty back up. Uh, Hi,
7: Jeff Jeff Greenstein, am I next? You're next. Uh, Jeff Greenstein, uh, TV writer, producer, Dream On, Friends, Will and Grace, Desperate Housewives, Parenthood, and then Desperate Housewives again. Um, (laughs) uh, I'm also a TV director. I've been directing a bunch over the last few years. I did Desperate Housewives and uh, Mom. I did about a dozen episodes of Chuck Lorre's Mom, which I like very much. And I'm going to direct a couple episodes of The Odd Couple. And I spent uh, the summer writing three pilots for Premium Cable. Which you can probably force me to talk about. We'll see how it goes. Very <laughs> good. Uh,
8: my name is Stephen Falk. I worked on Weeds with Roberto and, um, and Orange is a New Black, and now I have a show of my own called You're the Worst on FXX. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs>
9: uh, my name is Phil Iscove. Uh, I co created Sleepy Hollow uh, with Kurtzman and Orsi. Uh, and which was the first thing I ever wrote or did anything.
0: Asshole! Um, <laughs>
9: I deserve that. Uh, and I just sold a, a new show to CBS, an uh, adaptation of uh, Island of Dr. Moreau.
0: Yeah. Great. Um,
10: cool. great. Very cool. I'm Will Widger. I feel like I should be valeting these guys' cars.
0: <laughs>
10: I was on the 2014 blacklist for a script called The Munchkin, and I'm writing a, a movie called... Lumberjanes for Fox. Great. Thank you guys for being here. That is all the time we have. (laughs) Sorry. Um,
1: Will, could you
6: get
0: my car? (laughs) Uh,
1: I want to start out um, real deep inside process with you guys and hear about uh, a lot of you guys have written things on your own, not necessarily in a writer's room. um, Recently, in fact. and I'd like to hear about your writing process. What does a typical day look like when you are working on a script, or three scripts, or whatever it is. Uh, and Will, let's
10: start with you, since you are currently uh, drafting a movie. Well, I feel... I mean, I'm just speaking for myself. I feel like any writer who says they rush to their desk in the morning, I'm very weary if they're a writer. Because I feel it's like the, the thing I try to avoid the most, although I try to to get to it at a decent time. And uh, a lot of the work I do is sort of the maybe more the night before in terms of plotting things out. I like to go on on long walks and sort of think about the story. Sometimes I feel, you know, being chained to uh, a computer and just sort of feeling you have to put words in the word processor or final drafts or whatever It can sort of, you know, make you feel obligated to use those things. And I sort of like to really think about the character for a long time before I, I put it down. Whereas, you know, maybe 10 years ago, I would really just try to figure it all out and, and feel like if there was, you know, black and white it was like accomplished, but it really wasn't. So to me, it's, you know, just sort of a a cumulative thing. And then the writing, I think, becomes the easy part once the characters are figured out.
1: Yeah, makes sense.
10: Uh, Phil, you're about to have to write a pilot. (laughs) This is
1: true. (laughs) What is that going to look like for you?
9: A lot of pacing around my apartment, most likely. Uh,
1: Uh, I mean, how much can we talk? Let's talk first. uh, I'm sorry to interrupt, but let's talk first about pitching this show. Right. and how much material you already have, and then how you're going to approach putting it on the page.
9: Uh, well, the, you know, I, I, I'm doing it with Kennedy Marshall, so um, I pitched it to them. I pitched it to a bunch of producers. I pitched it to them and ultimately decided to do it with them. The, the pitch document was about uh, 14, 15 pages for the most part, so it was pretty in-depth and tried to sort of really uh, step out as much of it as I could because I do think there's a lot of preconceived notions that go with the source material that I think is sort of yeah. imp- important to show how this is a new version of that. Um, so, does that answer your question? I don't know. Yeah, yeah I mean, I guess sort it's of a lot good. of, yeah, a lot of writing of, of sort of stepping out of the document and whatnot and then uh, now I just sent in the story document to uh, to the studio so we're waiting to see. How that. thorough is that? The story document? Yeah. Uh, it's about three pages okay. uh, so it's really, really high altitude of just the story. There's very little character, and it. it's just so they know sort of A to B to C, and and just a general idea of what uh, what it will be as a
1: as a pilot, hopefully. And then once you sit down to write that, yeah, it'll be a lot of pacing. But how do you make yourself do it?
9: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, deadlines are very very important. Mm-hmm. You have to hit your deadlines. So I think that that sort of motivates me. I think also. You know, I think it's a lot of listening to music. Weirdly, I'm, I listen to a lot of lyrics. I'm inspired a lot by music, for what that's worth, as well. So, it's that. A Is lot it
1: different kinds of music for different projects? Or do yeah, you stuff yeah, like,
9: I'm, i definitely there's sort of there's bands or artists that I sort of associate with that with that property, and then tell kind us of. Uh, well, for this one, the Decemberist seems to be what I'm listening to a lot. Um, I'll just watch
6: the show, then.
10: Okay. okay.
6: Great. <laughs> <throw> <laughs> so. Such a whore.
10: <laughs> Please speak into your microphone <laughs> uh,
1: Alright, yeah. yeah. that's really great uh, Steven, I know you've been working on uh, You're the Worst for a couple of years now uh, When was the last time you wrote something that you didn't have a room for?
8: Oh yeah, that's left bo- to your own horrible uh, I, Right before I got the show on the air I signed on to do a book, uh, adapt a book uh, for a movie for no money. Great. And then I had already signed a contract, so I had to do that and that. So, I mean, talk about being able to write in a room where you can bully people around and you have, you know, five brains instead of one, then you're in and you're getting paid. Then you're in then you have a month and because you put off the deadline for two years, you're in a room with a fucking book, and you have to make it a, a loan for free into a movie, which I don't know if you know, movies are really fucking long, 120 pages. <laughs> After you write 27 page half hour scripts, it's horrible. Yeah. Um uh, it, it was just just to get it done. That's the only reason I got it done. Cuz I had to not have it on my plate for free e- ever again.
1: Were you did you find any joy in it?
8: Yeah, I did. <laughs> did uh, <you? laughs> yeah, it was great. Uh no, I, 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 I like the pro, i like the process of having source material. I used to i started writing movies and and uh but and it was all just you know dumb ideas from my brain. So it, I like having like a, a road map, even if you're throwing away a lot of it. So yeah, it was it was a nice process, a nice <laughs> challenge.
1: It becomes an exercise at a certain point. It does, it, yeah, 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 just exactly. to get it, computers. yeah, just to get it done. Um, Jeff, w-
8: mm.
1: we always go back to your writing process.
7: Well, you know, <laughs> I met a woman at a a party a couple of weeks ago and I guess she had heard oh no so she said uh, "She said, what are you working on? I said yeah I'm working a couple of pods she said you're the one who cries right?
1: <laughs> we, Jeff was on one of our earliest <laughs> podcasts and told the story about breaking down crying Yeah. And
0: as
7: part knew, of his process she remembered process. everything about it she said like in the driveway right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, tears and self-loathing that's a lot of what I do um
1: But if you're juggling three scripts uh, this summer, (laughs) there's not a lot of time for crying.
7: It was, well, listen, here's the thing. The advantage of, uh, one of them was I I was writing solo and it's an adaptation of a novel. Mm -hmm. So I did have source material, which does help. Um, The other two were collaborations. And so there's somebody to sort of, you know, to to reflect back You get a
1: a tiny room of your own. Yeah,
7: exactly. And you have somebody to bounce stuff off of, and it's not quite as horrible. And you have, I wrote with a writing partner for the first half of my career, and it reminded me that the best thing about having a writing partner is the silent indictment of non-work sitting (laughs) across from you. So if you're not working, you feel like, well, what the fuck are we doing here? So as opposed to when you're sitting by yourself, you could be, you know, masturbating or reading Deadspin. Um, so, um, so uh, anyway, so it, it, the the solo one there was a lot. There were a lot of tears. There was, um, ooh, uh, there was a two-hour crying jag one morning. Oh, what? Yeah, it was really bad. I just could not seem to to crack this particular scene. The thing was outlined and two hours. Two hours. Yeah, it was really rough. It was really rough. I hesitate Wait. to share these things, but then I think maybe somewhere out in the audience is someone who thinks it's. You know, for me, I've written hundreds of episodes of television. Absolutely. They think, well, it must be pretty easy for that guy, and it's never easy. I can't stand it. It feels incredibly unnatural to me to spend time communing with invisible, imaginary people. That's crazy. And so, and and so, you know. So anyway, that's horrible.
1: But, um, but this, let me just interrupt for a sec. You know, to to spend two hours <laughs> yeah, crying on something you have outlined. Yeah. Like, it wasn't about breaking the story. <laughs> no, it wasn't. So, what was it that you weren't. I just it getting? wasn't
7: coming out right. You know, like, no matter, listen, I'm a real believer of cards on a board. I mean, one of the things that saves me a lot is I'm really into structure, and I care a lot about a well structured, well told story, particularly each of these pilots in their own way. They're all, did I say this? They're all one hours. Okay, oh, so no. they're, yeah, they're all premium cable one hours, and they're all period pieces. Hey, that's fun. Um, <laughs> so, uh, they're all very intricately plotted, and I care a lot about. The right kinds of things happening in the right kind of order, and so I retreat to the board sometimes because I feel like if a story isn't working, maybe it isn't broken properly, or maybe mm-hmm. I haven't set something up, or whatever. So sometimes, you know, I can make the tears abate by going back to my colored index cards, right? Sure. But this was a scene, a situation where I was trying to, to write a particular scene, and I just felt so stuck, and it wasn't coming across, and I didn't. This was the, the adaptation of the novel. I didn't feel like I was properly honoring the source material. And I just felt I was writing mediocre. And that's just such a terrible feeling when you feel like it's mechanical. You know, I mean, I still so identify with what Wilson said about you got to keep your fingers moving, you got to keep moving forward. I agree with that. But sometimes I just can't help but judge myself. And hence.
10: Do you write in your car?
7: No. Why?
10: I thought you were crying in your car.
7: No, no, no I was crying in the driveway. Okay. Yeah. I was, there's also a little, your there's a little like R- right outbuilding at my house where writing happens. Okay because my wife doesn't want me in the house. <laughs> sure. it's, Which it's, one? She would see you cry. Yeah, that's what it is, because it's disturbing. And so I was walking on the little path from the house to the little outbuilding. That's where, that's where the tears occurred.
1: <laughs> but you were able to push through.
7: Yeah, I did. No, I did. And it, you know, I had to go through it. It was really cathartic. And then I was so weak. Here's what I did, though. I found, <laughs> I had broken down my own resistance in a yeah. way. Okay, so but here's what happened, though. I found a piece of the story that I really wanted to write, like a scene I was really sure of. And so I wrote, the, I usually don't write out of order. Usually I have to write beginning to end, even if, no matter what. But I found a piece that I knew was going to be great. And so I wrote that, and it sort of unlocked me a little bit, and I was able to go back and do all the other stuff. Yeah, that makes sense.
1: Uh, Josh, tell us about... How you are how are you are writing these days? What are you actually writing these days? Fuck you. I- <laughs> yeah. no, what are you writing these? We've, days? Been, talking, um, we've been talking about <laughs> Avatar for like two and a half years. We've been talking about
6: Avatar for two and a half years, yes, we have been.
1: <laughs> we I'm have.
6: not blaming you. No. Oh, no. <laughs> There's someone no. else in charge. No, you're not blaming me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Is
6: there a script? <laughs> Because I have some notes. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I've been writing Avatar for two and a half years. Um, well, but it hasn't all been it's writing. It's 700 pages long. What yeah. do you want? I mean, it's, uh, it hasn't all been writing, no. Um, when I'm stuck, I just think about Jeff crying in the driveway. It <laughs> clears me. It, it just gets me through it. everything. I mean, it's yeah. just. Um, what was the question?
1: <laughs> what, what am I writing? What are you, are you, do you have uh, a pen to paper right now?
6: Metaphorically. Uh, (laughs) uh, You know, I was thinking about Phil yesterday, because Phil literally was in deadline yesterday. And I was like, fucking Phil. He timed it so that his sale would happen (laughs) the day before the podcast. (laughs) And I have like two things that are like... three or four days away from closing so I can't talk about them and I call my agent I'm like, can you fucking get that thing <laughs> closed so I have something to talk about at the podcast tomorrow and no. Like, we're not, I almost gave up, I was almost willing to like give up the last little bit of money <laughs> that I'm holding out for so that this awkward exchange didn't occur. All right. Um, Let's, I'm,
1: I'm let, really me, let me ask you this. Huh? Let me ask you this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> are these, are these, Things that you're waiting for the deals to close yeah. on, which I know, like, they take forever, and, and it's a pain in the ass not talking about them. Um, are they things that you are going to write? Or are you over- yes! Are you overseeing <laughs> someone? Uh, you know, you, listen,
6: you're a big I, shot producer as well. <laughs> um, no, there are two things that I'm going to write. One of them is an adaptation of a movie, and one of them is an adaptation of a novella. And um, you know, I, I last year I was I, for the last four years I was in deals at Universal and Twentieth, and this is the first year that I was like, "fucking deals, network bullshit, I'm through," and ran into cable, which is where I'm supposed to be. Where you know, my therapist told me years ago I was supposed <laughs> to be in cable, but. I didn't listen. To her. Okay. She also told me to to. Yeah. She also told me to get a trainer and stop eating fucking carbs and all sorts of things that I didn't do. Um. So I fired her. And. Uh, uh, so, yeah, there are two things. So basically, yeah, I've 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 decided to just I'm doing cable this year, and I've spent the last few months really actually, uh, reading a lot of things, you know, trying to figure out what stuff to do. And I've been I, one of these things that hopefully will close on Monday. I've been chasing for 18 months uh, since I saw it as a trailer. Uh, before I even saw the movie, I saw, I, and I, I don't know when. I, hopefully, at some point, it'll be somewhere, and people go, "Oh, that's the thing he was talking about." Um, but I saw a trailer for a movie a couple years ago, and I literally sent a link to the trailer to my agent and said, "I want to make this in a TV show." And he's like, "The movie isn't even out in the United States yet, <laughs> you shallow motherfucker!" And um, and so I've been chasing it around for eighteen months, and so hopefully we'll finally get it done. And I'm not excited about it. But and I, I mean, I did just finish another draft tra- of Avatar about a month ago. Um, on, on these two
1: TV projects, was the pitch process different for you, uh, taking it to cable? Did you have to have well, I more or less? Well, you
6: know, one? it's funny, both of them, neither of them are set up at networks. They're both things that I'm writing in-house oh, okay. for financiers, for, I guess we're going to call them non-traditional studios, but, mm-hmm. you know, people with money uh, who, you know, I'm working with and we're going I'm going to write the script. I mean, I... I on spec isn't exactly right because I'm getting paid, but right. uh, I'm going to write the script and figure out the whole you know season and bible and that kind of stuff, and then go out with right. it. Which I've never done that that way, um, but since I failed so many times, the other way it just seems
1: it seems like that t-
6: becoming more common though is to you know yeah. give someone
1: like mm-hmm. you the time to put this thing together.
6: I, I well, yeah, I mean I think you know I mean it, it's it. it the last week they emailed me and literally the producers said we're going to pay you a lot of money to do this and we don't even know where we're going to sell it no pressure (laughs) and I said people have been paying me a lot of money for years and there's nothing to show for it I don't feel pressure. (laughs) I fail constantly. I literally just did, Meryl and I just did a podcast this morning. Don't plug his podcast. I'm not. I'm not going to say what it is. But I just want to know that he, literally, this is when you're at this point in your career where he came to me and said, I know. He said, I think that the theme of our podcast after looking over your stuff is going to be, how does one bounce back from disappointment? (laughs) And I had a, I had a lot to say on that. <laughs> this is a great segue, <laughs> uh, Stephen. <Steven.
8: laughs> oh. yeah. yeah, Mr. Failure. When yeah. we
1: spoke some years ago, yeah, um, you were
8: in New York. In New York, yes. you were
1: putting Doing it a like you were show. in post production on a show or something. Oh yeah, yeah,
8: and yeah. And it yeah. never, oh no,
0: happened.
8: <laughs> no like, one it ever was saw all that. done. Yeah, they spent NBC. Uh, Bob Greenblatt and his infinite wisdom spent. God, millions of dollars to, to, and 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 he preferred to just bury it than than anyone see it, yeah, and maybe get a few like you know dollars from Procter and Gamble. No, yeah.
1: How do you? I mean, so, oh, sorry, so
8: I had an NBC uh, sitcom uh, called Next Caller with Jeffrey Tambor and Colette Wolfe and Dane Cook. Um, and we shot, for, I, I had to move to New York, yeah. uh, packed up my, my, uh, girlfriend and dog and cat and moved to New York. And, uh, and, uh, the actors all moved to New York and we shot, we got a, it was only a six episode mid season order, which is just, you know, right. it's, it's hedging their bets. Uh, um, you're like the the ugly girl. They, they they don't really want to take to the prom, but they ask just in case they can't find a hotter person. Um, and uh, and yeah, and and we shot four episodes. we were about to shoot the fifth episode. It's Friday night seven. I'm editing, getting ready to start a new episode on Monday, and I got a call. It's over. Every year, everything's over. Stop. And I just and and the editor. I had like 20 minutes to get uh, the the DVD in FedEx to get to Burbank, and he was like, "So should I make this edit with the?" I was like. Uh, yeah, just give me a second and I walked out and I never went back <laughs> so he he may that editor may be still there over his avid like no one's told me anything. My stapler <laughs> yeah, yeah so
1: what do you what do you do after
8: that you um uh, I went back to, uh, <laughs> to LA. uh I built furniture for a little while. Uh, yeah, I made a hanging bed uh, on my deck. It's awesome. Um, <laughs> and a couple other things. Uh, I, I didn't really do anything. I, I and, and my old boss, Genji Cohen asked me to come work on this jail show that she had that no one had seen yet. And I was like, ah, I don't want women in prison. But uh, eventually I was like, all right, I'll go do that. And it turned out to be a really good show.
1: Were, how do you keep from feeling, or maybe you don't, so it's how do you push through Like the a failure? Like you're not, a failure? Not like a failure, but like, how does, why do I bother why? Why do any of those? He's trying
8: to push you over the edge. <laughs> right. <laughs> no. No. I'm mean, in like, all of I, a sudden. I, yeah. I, exactly. I feel like we've all like to have, buy the world we've Coke. all
1: been there, and you know, this is like an extreme version, but like yeah, you put in you, all the work and then have it. It just was do nothing.
8: well. It was devastating. But but I was so overworked. I had no like lieutenants. I was falling asleep on my feet in the writers' room, and you know, and at a certain point when you're. Airing, Unless, you have, unless you're smart and you hire good people to work uh, with you, um, I, you're running the, the writer's room and the floor and the, then editing at the same time. So I was actually kind of happy it, it ended. I was just like, well, at least I can sleep now. Um, no, you don't. And then I, and then I stole a, a, a guitar from set that night, uh, and then it turned out to be a $10,000 on loan from Gibson, and they were starting to review the security tapes, and they would have seen me, like, drunkenly walking out with this guitar. <laughs> Fuck you, NBC. And, uh, and I, th- I thought I was going to go to jail. And so uh, I returned it and lied and said I stole it as a present for Dan Cook. Um, how do you bounce back from failure? Uh, you have uh, good friends uh, who give you jobs, really. Um, but no, it, it, was, it was a horrible disappointment. I, but I don't know. I'm a pretty buoyant person. So I just sort of, oh, well, something else is going to happen.
1: Uh, Having good friends who will give you jobs does seem to be a thing we we don't talk about very often on this podcast, though it does come up once in a while. How how important is creating that network? How has it served you guys in your careers? How do you do it without networking? Do you know what I mean? Like, there's a way to do it, and there's
9: a way to do it. I mean, I I worked at UTA for eight years as an assistant before selling Sleepy Hollow. So for me, that was sort of like a graduate degree, if you will, on sort of... Uh, I, I graduated film school and I moved out here and, and started working there. Uh, and you learn very quickly that sort of relationships and information is really kind of the only currency out here for all intents and purposes. So I, I think that, you know, I stole relationships from my agent, uh, <laughs> my boss, and now my agent. So I, I definitely kind of learned how to not seem like you're networking, you know, getting going to drinks with people and, and genuinely being a nice person that people want to help, as opposed to, you know, will you read my shit to everybody, yeah. which is doesn't
10: work so well.
9: Absolutely.
10: Absolutely. Anyone else? Yeah, I mean, I think it's crucial. I mean, I, I'm the worst networker, and it wasn't until after I saw sort of the, I wouldn't say networking thing pay off. I was sort of in animation for many years, like trying to pitch stuff. I got one thing sold with, with a writing partner. Uh, and then I sort of did a career change and sort of like part of ways as a manager and agent. And when I wrote The Munchkin, I was really trying to like, you know, use it as like a launching pad, hopefully. And the only real connection I had was one person who I'd pitched an animation project at 21 Labs, Dan Cohen. And I feel, you know, he was the one who sort of leaked the script on the town. But I think back, like, he was really all I had, you know, in terms of a relationship. So I feel the more people you can get to know and know them on a personal basis and not just want something from them, the more, you know, when I appealed to him, I was saying... I really, like, this is it, man. And, you know, this is the last thing I'm going to write. I, I feel like I've hit rock bottom. Like, is this any good? And if it is, please send it around. And, you know, I, I'm forever grateful to him for that. So I think it's crucial. So don't do it in a douchey way, but <laughs> be friends with these people. Well, yeah, we're, we're human, right?
1: Like, people yeah. can tell when you're being genuine and when you're not.
7: Yeah.
1: Um, anything to add, or should I go to questions?
7: I'm afraid of people. In general. So I can't... I'm incapable of networking. I, I don't know how to do that. I really don't. I, I wouldn't know how to exploit my network of contacts and enlarge it.
1: Is this what makes you a good director? Probably. Seriously. Like, well, you have to go in and, and sort of have the answers and know how to run things?
7: Well, I'm... Yeah, I mean, I, listen, I, I I think my version of networking is that when I... Um, when I work with someone, I try and have a really good experience, mm-hmm. so that when I leave, I'm aware that they will move on and I will move on, and maybe they will remember me fondly. I mean, that is
6: how. That's
7: what, life, that, though, isn't it? I, not for every, Think about it, though. Not for everybody. I,
6: I'm, I'm the opposite. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm a reverse. Yeah, I'm a reverse networker. Like I, people think they like me from the start and then as it goes they realize oh he's a fucking asshole <laughs> like why, why I mean do you I, I like mean, other people? yeah they're fine you know <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but, but, I mean, he, but I mean but he, he can really
1: write so it doesn't matter I, I mean
6: uh, I, my lawyer once told me he's like like seven or eight years ago he's like dude you're a good writer and you're lucky that you are <laughs> Because people think you're a dick. Like, you know, and there was a lot... I mean, we've gone through Josh 2.0 many (laughs) times on the podcast. Go listen to your... uh, Go to the archives. But, I I mean, I've actually burned a ton of bridges. uh, And I don't regret any of them. I mean, they were all dickheads i mean i I feel like you know fuck them no i mean seriously if like i'm blackballed by warner brothers right now i can barely get on the lot because seven years ago when i was at sarah connor i was a rough person to be around and they literally i mean i know this from like two weeks ago like a friend of mine brought me up to run a show for warner brothers and the people in the current department went "Uh uh-uh
8: is your photo, like, in the guard booth? Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, shit.
6: <laughs> yeah. No, there's just, like, I had to go on there for a feature meeting the other day, and it was the first time I'd been on the lot in, like, five years. I was nervous. I was like, if Peter Roth sees me, like, he's going to run me out of here with his car. So, yeah, don't do that. But I just, whatever, you know, opposite day.
7: No. I mean, that is how I got the, I, I had directed yeah. a couple of episodes of, I had a few dep- episodes of Desperate Housewives. That was my... Uh, directorial debut and that happened really because I was a writer on the show and I kind of raised my hand which was great Um, but the way in which mom came about I'd never directed multicam I had worked on hundreds of episodes of multicam but I never directed it but I had a kind of cordial relationship with Chuck Laurie and there was something that we were collaborating on and so when there was an opening on mom he asked me if I wanted to do one I guess because he thought I was a pretty nice guy and that I'd do a pretty good job and I was nice enough and worked hard enough and was Buoyant enough, and masked my inner panic enough that they had me back over and over and over again. I mean, and and you know the thing that I've learned, I was I went to uh, as I said, I'm going to direct a few odd couples toward the end of the calendar year, and I went back to sort of spend a little time on the set and meet some of the people. And of course, I know Matthew Perry from friends and so forth. But looking around the set and looking across the writing staff, I know every single one of those people. I mean, hmm. you. Uh, I, it may, you know, I, I actually said this on Twitter earlier today that I would be here representing the aging comedy hack contingent. Um, <laughs> at, a, at a certain point, you, you know, the same people cycle through the business over and over again, and so if you tend to alienate or piss off, or <laughs>
6: uh, I'm going to die young. I don't give a fuck.
7: I don't know. You know what? I I'm like a fat I, Jim Morrison. No, I did the same thing. <laughs> I was not always this way. I did tend to piss a lot particularly when i had a writing partner because we were definitely good cop bad cop and i was bad cop more <laughs> often than not i was the abrasive intransigent one who couldn't you know who would you know doggedly pursue every single point i once like lit up a network executive because they used the wrong logo in a promo that ran at 11:30 at night for the show that I created for it that was doing. Well, at the time, this was a flop, but it was only doing 14 million viewers. And that Absolutely. was enough to get you canceled on the Fox network. I'm just too scared
9: to get people upset. I mean, What's it's probably because I'm Canadian, but still, like, I'm just too afraid to, like, get anybody <laughs> upset. So I'm just constantly just walking on eggshells around everyone. It's really healthy,
0: guys. Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, all right, I want to make sure we have time for questions from you guys. Do you have questions? I'm going to hit them with one more, but you come up with one. Uh, think of a way to make it succinct, and I'll come over and, and put the microphone in your face. Um, I want to ask about "You're the Worst."
8: Okay. <laughs>
1: how are you guys uh, in the room right now?
8: No, no, I'm. Uh, I'm just finishing um, the last remnants of post on the second season.
1: Okay. Tell yeah. me how. Tell me how the show is written. How did the room work? How does how how the show run? It?
8: Run. Oh, uh, uh, the show runs. I have. Um, four writers, three, one team, and, and uh, two si- single people. Oh, wow. um, and I learned a lot from. I don't know if Roberto's probably not here. He's probably staring at his daughter, as he said. But um, on on weeds, uh, he he ran the room pretty much, and um, and I sort of learned process from from that. But we really we're ve- I'm really rigorous about story and structure, and um, and we we just uh, go over. You know, we have general ideas, and then we. We, I, I structure the um, a season like a, like one story, so like an like act. So I put in, you know, the first four is going to be one act. We're going to have one director for those. And then the middle one will have two d- different directors. will be act 2A, 2B, and then the, the third one act C. Because I wanted to have different feels and, and sort of different themes and, and different kind of, uh, just so there's an actual narrative throughout the entire thing. Um, and uh, and we had a long writing process because we started too early because they thought we were going to be airing in the summer, um, which was great. And we just uh, I don't run a long room. We I get, we break at like three thirty four um, every day. Um, yeah, well, because the writing pro the filming is so grueling, and I'm on there's set so the few whole time of you, too. Yeah, and there's so few. Well, but, uh, yeah, but then they're all gone. and It's just me on set and the director. Um, I'm the only EP, so I'm the only. I'm the only voice. Everything has to go through. I have to approve everything, but no one else does. And it's a really it's a way to get really tired. But it's a good way to have a very unified vision, whether it's a vision you like or not, or or, or people watch. Um, just so everything feels um, like it's one thing, and you just don't have the time to argue, or uh, you know, or, or 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 have the costume department ask three different people. The same, and I get three different answers, and then they're confused, and everyone's confused. Um, uh, yeah, and we just so and I write a majority of the scripts. And...
1: Uh, were there things that you discovered? Uh, I, th- I feel like the show has been really consistent uh, from between from all the way through the first season. Were there things you discovered from one to two, or even as you
8: went along? Um, well, in see, one? yeah. See, uh, season one was a nice ten episode. Um, it just felt like a good close end story. It felt like a, a one you know, one movie, sort of like Roberto was saying, so my only desire in season two was to um, not be complacent and do something really risky. So this season, it's starting out a little, um, you know, sort of enter- entering us back into the world a little gently, but then it takes a left turn and gets really kind of weird. And we have a lot of very strange episodes, um, uh, uh, one of which I directed I'd never directed before, but... Um, but none, none of our cast is in it for the first 10 minutes. Um, That's great. It's just, we oh we just did a lot of weird shit, and FX allows me to do that. Yeah. They're worried, but they... I,
1: well, I was going to say, how, well, they were, how when did I, when you I get When I pitched
8: that the season to Landgraf, mm-hmm. and I can't say what... It, but anyway, it's about something very sort of... That doesn't sound fun at all. And he said, just make sure you make X funny. And, Interesting. Yeah, and that, that, but, but they, they trusted me. That's, great.
1: Yeah. That's exciting. When, oh, nice. when does it start? Has it started?
8: It started, yeah. We, uh, we, started, uh, we just aired episode two. Okay, we're on great. Wednesdays awesome. or we'll
1: something. We'll check it out. Yeah. Uh, all right. Questions from you guys?
3: I know there's a lot of buzz recently around virtual reality. Are you guys entering that space at all, or has that piqued your interest?
1: No.
9: <laughs> Slippy, Hollow weirdly, <laughs> Slippy Hollow weirdly just won an Emmy, actually, for virtual reality. Oh, is that right? Somehow. What? Yeah, what? exactly. What? For the what? Oculus what? Rift thing that they did oh, at Comic-Con, neat. they won an Emmy for the first virtual reality Emmy. I don't know what that means. Uh, it it's not cool. actually an Emmy. Wow. It's—I mean—it should be a hologram. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I, I guess. Like, I, I did the Oculus thing, and and I don't know. I feel like virtual reality has been like they've been talking about it for 30 years. I don't know what it is, but sure. Yeah. Cool. Great.
10: When the when the Aerosmith crazy video came out, do you remember that? Yeah. I thought that would be the future, but
0: it turns out.
6: You mean well, hot
10: girls wielded. on tractors? <laughs>
6: When you find yourself in a, the writing zone or the just really uh, productive, what are the environmental factors you find yourself are common? Music, silence. I, I, when, I when I have
8: a, uh, a deadline that I don't want to do, when I don't want to write, and I and I'm not like actually in the room, uh, I go to a hotel. Um, so I because I find just sort of isolation and also having spent a bunch of money. Uh, is guilt, and I couldn't not write, and I would hate myself if I spent money and just sat there and watched basketball or something.
6: I, I mean, I, I, I... No, I'm going to be serious. I love... I, even though I, like everybody else, procrastinate, procrastinate, procrastinate writing, I love writing. I love the physical act of writing. So, I know. I, I mean, I do. And I, I mean, when I sit down at the, when I sit down at the computer, I feel like a fucking superhero until I until the kryptonite hits me in the head. But for us, for a time there, I it feels awesome. I mean, I don't um, find it. I don't find it to be a miserable experience. I find people to be miserable experiences uh, fucking with my shit. Like, I mean, but I, but I, love, I love what I do, and I, I, I sit there all day, and in my head I go, I'm fucking good at this, you know? And that's how I feel until I feel the opposite uh, after I stop, you know? But in the time that for that, you know, 17 or 18 minutes... Uh, a day, it's I'm unstoppable. Are, I am.
8: I'm just, I'm just imagining you in um, on the avatar like horse fly in your mind. Oh yeah. Like.
6: I'm there. Yeah. Well that yeah. Well that's I also if I need motivation I do that is my imaginary partner is that I imagine Jim Cameron, and I don't have to imagine him because eventually I see him face to face for your the tail people into him. back home. Uh, for for we yeah, we queue in we queue into
10: each other and. Uh, for so the people at home, he's levitating right now.
0: Uh, fuck,
1: no, uh, well, we, I don't think we've ever talked about these environmental
6: factors, and I am curious about that. Do you have, where do you work? Do you work in your home? Do you work no, in No, I can't office? work in, I mean, I have, I've had an office for the last few years because I had it yeah. overall, and this summer is the first time I haven't had an office, and I'm useless. I mean, honestly, I mean, I have a kid, I have two dogs, my wife, and whatever other people feel the need to be in my house to get <laughs> money from me. Uh, which it's uh, more than I knew uh, when I wasn't at home, and also I'm like, who's that? We pay that person? I don't know what that person does. Um, it's it's real relatable. Yeah, it's, it's the first. <laughs> what's what's higher than a first world problem? Two having two houses. Two having. To...
7: Oh, shit. <laughs> All right, yeah, uh, we have two houses.
6: You have three houses, motherfucker.
7: I wish you hadn't said that. Wait a minute.
6: I kept it quiet while you were telling the story of being in the fucking driveway, and I'm like, which driveway are you in? Because I know you have a fucking compound with three houses while I was. And there's
7: snipers at every corner. Yes.
6: (laughs) The tears he cries are tears of diamonds. Yeah. I was like, I felt so bad for you while you were telling. Fucking good at this. I know, and I kept, (laughs) I kept quiet about your three houses until you mentioned the two, and then I'm like, liar. There's three. I don't even
7: know if I okay.
6: And they're connected. You have a writing house and a family house, and I don't even know what I do in a house house. That's the dungeon. (laughs) You see how Jeff? You're seeing it in action. Jeff is trying to
1: have a good time, make friends with Josh. (laughs) He wants to leave him with a good experience.
7: (laughs) i pick an empty room. I need an empty room. I need total sensory deprivation. Really? Um, yeah, I do. And, and uh, when I, you know, it took me a long time to figure this out because, like I said, I wrote with a partner for a long time. And we could write anywhere, whether it was noisy or quiet or whatever. I found out that I needed to be entirely by myself, and I also learned that I was only good starting around 2 p.m. Mm-hmm. And so I shouldn't even start in the morning. You know, I could, you know, have breakfast with my friend Josh at Art's Deli in the morning. Um, and then around 2 o'clock, I would get down to work. I did do something different. Maybe it was because I was managing all these different projects. Is, is um, uh, Particularly when I was in that early phase, I don't know if I've ever told you this, Ben, but like, I always think that there's two phases to the writing process on any given script. There's the part where you feel like you've got the rope over your shoulder and you're trying to pull a tractor up a hill. And then there's the part where the tractor starts to pull you, mm-hmm. which is kind of groovy. Like you've, you've established the characters, you've established the tempo, you've established the style. When I'm trying to get that early part going, the terrible pulling the tractor part, I actually would go to the Burbank library, and I would sit in a carol, and I would plug in Eric Satie on the headphones. Sometimes that would work to get me going, just a change of venue, mm-hmm. other than the four ugly walls of my writing hole in <laughs> paradise.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You can jumpstart it sometimes, yeah, sometimes by changing, changing something. Yeah,
7: yeah, by changing the context. It does help. Um,
1: we have a little more time. If you guys don't, do you have a question? Yeah.
7: All right, let's do
6: that. Uh, I have to wonder about Sleepy Hollow. Did you greenlight the promos? Because didn't you get like a lot of... Wasn't
1: there like a I lot of criticism? Nothing, so <laughs> oh, <laughs> do I greenlit nothing. But you can is ask there, the question Is there the a left. promo scandal?
0: What?
9: I don't know. The lack well, of, no,
1: of promos that
9: are I happening they're, right they're, now? Just, uh, like, the soup was making like a lot of fun of it. Oh. Oh. I mean, I don't know, man. I mean, there are like six EPs on the show, and I'm not one of them. So, I mean, it's a, the truth is, honestly, we were trying to kind of thread a needle of making sure that it was fun. They wanted the show to be more of a family show somehow. I think they wanted it to, they had demos <laughs> apparently saying that families sit around and wow. like, I don't know, zombie George Washington, I don't know, man. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, it, it definitely was trying to be a little bit more lighthearted because I think that they were afraid of it being too horror and they were scared that like, if it was too dark and, and people wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, uh, why, why lean into yeah, yeah, Sleepy yeah, Hollow? You're right, exactly. <laughs>
1: wow. Uh, was there someone else? Yeah, all right. <laughs> Going at something uh, Steven was talking about with Vision. Uh, with uh, your other words, but
10: for all of you, how do you go about executing that vision on the page? Be- especially when you sometimes you're, you're doing it for spec, and sometimes you're doing it uh, off a pitch. So how do you execute that vision? Because you sometimes it may change later. <laughs> you stumped us all. Yeah. I think I think for me at least, and I was going to say this in terms of sort of like the process is, or, or more actually in terms of the zone is is before like writing um I keep saying that cuz it's like I never write. But <laughs> I um like knowing where you're going and being really confident, I feel like the moment you get to to the keyboard or whatever, um then I feel like the confidence comes out and and you can have fun on the page, but if you don't know the character or you don't really know where you're going, I feel that's where, you know, the page becomes a mess and you may just like, you know, procrastinate or look up different things on Google, like, you know, of restaurants or colors or dressmakers or something. I don't know. But, but if you know where you're going, you can... <laughs> you wouldn't believe what I'm <laughs> writing now, but anyways. <laughs> um, a skin suit. Serial killer movie. <laughs> uh, Lumberjanes is going to be darker than I expected. <laughs> it is. It is.
1: Um, we have time for a couple of questions before we wrap up that I have for you. Um, the Emmys are tomorrow. Some of you have some, some of you don't, some of you are invited or not, or have been or have not. Who gives a shit about the Emmys? Do we, as people who make television, care about the Emmys? He
7: does because he has three houses. Yeah, well, and I have an Emmy too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so fuck this yeah, is I why care. I'm asking this. he too. keeps
6: it in the middle of uh, all three of the houses <laughs> the so he
7: can go buy it. He That's just... where I get my power. Yeah. Um, I don't know. God, I I never even considered that. I I mean, listen, here's the thing. I should say that, yeah, we won for Will and Grace in season two, and that was really lovely. Um, But I remember uh, we did not think we were going to win. And the moment beforehand, all of us on the writing staff said, let's remember we don't do this for the awards. Because really, if you've ever voted for the Emmys, and I think a number of us have, you know how bullshit it is. Mm -hmm. We haven't seen everything. You know, we're voting based on the shows we like that we think are worthy and uh, and so it's in some ways it's a popularity contest. some ways it's a zeitgeist contest. in some way it's you know what the critics are saying they're liking. so maybe I'll go check that out, you know And so it's but then again, it is there is it does in a lot of cases, bring, uh, you know, shed light on shows that are deserving of it, or performers who are deserving of it. So I I, mean, I, I think that's the best thing
9: know. to come from it. Is honestly the fact that like, you know, Tatiana Maslany getting nominated finally for Ur From Black, maybe some people will check it out for season four or that's something right. along those lines. I think that that's helpful. I think that's great. But the fact that the Americans has never been nominated for an Emmy for know, three years a is a travesty. So I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it seems sort of arbitrary.
10: I'm curious if John Hamm's going to bring a date. Is it too soon? Or? <laughs> <laughs> didn't even occur to me. He's going to win, now quite frankly. In. And if he's going to win, I think yeah. he deserves it. If
0: he
7: doesn't win. Yeah. He I didn't realize none of the cast yeah. has ever won. He's never won an Emmy. Not a I single mean.
6: actor yeah. on the show. Yeah. That's really? crazy. I mean, that's crazy. Right? I'm surprised. <laughs> I, I want to win an Emmy.
0: <laughs> I wanna, I
6: wanna. You rent will. a tuxedo, and I wanna, I want like my mom. I want my dad to get off my fucking back, and I like, I just, like, I, you know, I want to stand up there and I want to say like a wink to my kid, and you know, and I want, you know, fuck it, I want to like write a little speech on a napkin. I like, I've watched them all, and it's. Part of the culture, and I think it'd be awesome. But I also think it's bullshit. But I I want to be a part of that bullshit. Like I, I <laughs> totally want to be a part of that bullshit. And and I think the thing that I have always wanted in since I started writing, and I'm, to get earnest, it's like I, I know it's I don't set myself up for that at all. Um, I want the respect of my peers. Like I think you want to think that you you want. Thank you very <laughs> yeah, much. There you go. Uh, one. That's enough. That's, <laughs> that's, that's no. Yeah, the, the jury's out on
7: the
6: rest. I, I know. <laughs> but, I mean, you want people to think that you're good. You yeah. want people to think that you're good. You want people to think that you created something good. Whether that means it's an award or whether that means, like, literally even coming up here and having people come and listen. You know, it feels good. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's like it's it sucks to sit in your room by yourself in a vacuum and you know that very little of what you get through out into the world is... Is you know it's a f- it's hard to make a bad show. It's hard to make a mediocre show. It's virtually impossible to make a great show. Mm-hmm. And you know if you do it, yeah. Yep.
8: Yeah, I want one too.
6: <laughs> you you deserve one. Thank you. Okay. I have no I'm done for, done shit.
8: I'm you up for know. one tomorrow for Oranges yeah. and New Blacks. I'm not gonna wait <laughs> Fucking
10: Game of Thrones. That's bullshit. Uh, by the way, that show sucks. That is bullshit. <laughs> I'll be balleting <that> cars. <laughs> <laughs> right. Very very quickly we have not to wrap mine. up.
1: Uh, Will, what are you watching on television? What's getting you excited or inspired? And we'll come down this way.
10: Well, I'm very sad that the Bachelor and Bachelorette are now done. Um, <laughs> but I've been rewatching. Watch Unreal. <laughs> but I've re been rewatching the wire. And uh, that's been great. That scene from season one where they come upon this crime scene, and it's just like, fuck. Yeah, fuck, fuck. Can I say that?
7: So good. I think that shit so
10: sails. <laughs> and Idris Alba has got to be the new James Bond. Yeah. I'm putting yeah. that out there right now. Not that I'm the first who said that, but I'm just casting my vote. All
1: right.
9: um, cool. I, the Americans, as I mentioned, is amazing. I, I do really love You're the Worst. I'm not just saying
8: that, it is a great Thank show. Thank you. Um, those are you no. Know, those are two shows that I really love.
1: good answers, Stephen.
8: Um, I'm I'm watching. I like uh, Treehouse Masters and Island Hunters. Which you, you were on that, right? No, it's where people buy islands. Uh, it's a really good show. I mean, it's, it's, it's all fake, but it's it awesome. Three
10: houses and an island. Yeah, no. Uh,
8: I know. I like. I also like scripted. I like. Um, I like BoJack Horseman. Woo-hoo! A lot. I like Review quite a lot. Um, Did you watch this week's Review? No, I'm like two two behind. I like Rick and Morty. I think that's really, (laughs) really good. Um, I just watch comedies, I guess. Um, Yeah, that's sort of it. All good answers. That's okay. Yeah,
7: Yeah. Jeff. I love Catastrophe. Catastrophe. Right, which I think is just wonderful I love your show too I haven't caught up up with the new season yet I love your show I think Catastrophe is on Amazon Prime and it's weirdly under the radar I don't understand why I think it's a million times better than Transparent personally Um, it's really funny which counts for me uh, where comedy is concerned and it's Um, just
1: briefly it's it's Rob Delaney and Sharon Horgan who created the show play uh, an American who knocked up a British woman and then they decide to make a go of it yeah which is the
7: thinnest romantic comedy premise imaginable but they make it beautiful it's terrific and Wolf Hall is amazing if you haven't seen that, it's absolutely amazing. It's one of the most beautifully directed shows I've ever seen. And Mark Rylance is amazing, and I think he's going to win. Um, it's an incredible show. So those are my two favorite things. Good.
6: Josh? Uh, I loved Sense8. On um, Netflix? Yeah, on Netflix. I think it's, um, it's it, two things I, lo- I love about the show. Is, one, I think it's about empathy. And there are very few shows that are really about, about that. And it's like the power of empathy. And second, uh, just from a kind of a filmmaking side, I think uh, they've done a wonderful job of kind of showing the power and they're and they really interested in this obviously the power of genre, uh, filmmaking to deliver real emotion. And I, I, it's not a perfect show, but I, I I mean I binge watched it and I just I was really moved by it and I think the performances are wonderful and um, and I'm, it's like one of those shows where I'm just I'm glad it's alive like I'm glad it exists. Great I'll check it out.
1: Please give a round of applause to these panelists, to all of today's panelists. Thank you guys for coming out today. We really appreciate it. Once again, my name is Ben Blacker. Follow me on Twitter at Ben Blacker. Give a round of applause to PodFest, please.
0: Now leaving Nerdist.com.